Hi, everyone. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Nice. I want to test my mic. My name is Abiyadi Adedoin from AWS, and join me, me today are Patrick and Ilya from Lyft. This is a picture of me back on stage in 2017, reInvent, when I was working at Expedia. That was when I told my story as an AWS customer and shared best practices that had helped Expedia with cloud cost optimization journey. Today, however, I am a business development manager on the cloud economics team at AWS, and I'm really excited to be here to talk with you and share even more about cloud financial management. I don't know if anyone saw me rock into that music, but that's just how excited I am. <laughs> so let me start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to attend this session. This session is focused on the fundamentals of cloud financial management. You'll learn how to enable data visibility within your organization and how to build a cost conscious culture in your organizations. Patrick and Ilya from Lyft will also share how they have leveraged data to achieve results and how they make this data available within their organization and how this visibility has influenced actions while they grow their business with AWS. Please note that this is a 200 level enterprise session and it is not intended to be deeply, deeply technical. So if you're interested in deep dives or anything that is truly deeply technical, I know there are higher level, higher level sessions uh, available at reInvent that might serve that purpose a little better. So we're going to cover three key takeaways in this session. Number one, the ability to make the connection between cloud usage data and cloud users influence actions, which then drives results. Number two, when there is a deep understanding of cost and value, when that is achieved, it is difficult to replicate across the organization without automation. Manual optimization as you scale is simply not practical, so automate whenever possible. And number three, managing cloud costs is not a once a year type of activity. It is not a project. It is to be treated as a continuous discipline. So instead of having reactive war room situations, I remember in my days as a customer, we had a few of those, be proactive by building out a process instead. Those are the three key takeaways that we're gonna cover here today. So let me start. What differentiates your organization? Whether you're a startup, an enterprise, maybe is it, uh, is it analyzing data, petabytes of data? Maybe it's delivering video content, or maybe just building great mobile apps. AWS Cloud allows you to focus on those things when you leave the heavy lifting of the underlying infrastructure to AWS. And as you focus on those things that differentiate your organization, what are your goals as, as an enterprise or as a, as a company? So maybe your goals are you want to keep growing, you want better experience for your users, and you do not want to slow down innovation. 
AWS can enable you to rebuild core applications or workloads on the cloud to help you continue that growth in your industry, whatever that may be. However, growth does impact cost. The question is, are you able to operate your workloads or achieve those goals in a cost-efficient manner? So here's an example of a growth story and the cost impact. So let's say building great mobile apps is what differentiates your organization. Let's go with that scenario. And you start cloud adoption, and things seem to be going really well with a lot of excitement in the air. And you start building, you start testing, you start developing, and you do proof of concepts. Then you see that your costs starting to rise. That yellow line is a total cost rising. So you make your first reserve instances purchase to get some pricing discounts on your compute services. And guess what? You notice that the cost is starting to drop, right? And you go back to business as usual. It's a one-time thing. Cost has dropped. Let's move on. But as you deploy more applications or even features over time, guess what? That cost starts to rise again. Maybe you've seen this kind of story before in your organization. Maybe it's familiar to you, right? As it starts to rise, your leadership might start asking a lot of questions. You probably don't want to be in that position where you're the one being asked those questions repeatedly. Maybe it's the CTO or the CFO. They start to ask a lot of questions. So with that scenario in mind, let's take a quick poll. I'm very curious, with a quick show of hands, what is the top current concern for your team or organization? Is it number one? Can I see a quick show of hands? Okay. Number two? Okay. About maybe a quarter. Number three? Ooh. <laughs> really? It's so funny, this is the same concern, this is the same poll results that we got when we had the same session last night. We had about 75% of the audience say number three, and we had about 25 or you know, 20 something percent say number two, and a little bit number one. The point here is, these are common statements that customers make that typically triggers the need for optimizing costs. So many of these are usually reactive statements. But my hope is that as you leave this session today, you will be even more proactive by building with cost optimization in your mind. Your concerns are valid. You're in the right spot. 35%, $10 billion. What do these numbers mean? Anyone want to take a crack at it? Sorry? Wasted spend. Anyone else want to try? You're right on. Did you attend my session last night? <laughs> or maybe someone told him. But anyways, according to a recent research, he's very right. A research was done to measure the amount of waste among enterprise public cloud users, and 35% of cloud spend is wasted. This amounts to $10 billion in just wasted spend. And this is primarily due to what we call poor cloud financial management. 
I'm going to say that another way. Poor cloud financial management is resulting in significant waste. It's a fact. Now, what does this number look like for your organization? You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say, but think about it in the back of your mind. Is it 5% for you? Is it 17%? Maybe it's 69%. What does it look like for your organization? While I know it is not realistic to get that number to zero or completely eliminate waste, just a small decrease, maybe 5 or 10% in that level of waste in your organization can have a major impact on what IT can accomplish. So for example, say maybe your IT organization is facing a flat or decreasing budget in 2020. So maybe someone has said, we're going to cut budget by those finance people. You know them. I used to be one of them. Oh, we're going to cut budget by 22% next year or something like that. The point is improving your cost efficiency can actually make a difference in your ability to be able to meet some business demands and deliver new services by reallocating the savings you get from being more efficient in the cloud to those other important initiatives. So it's really important. So when we start thinking about excess cloud costs and how to address it, it is only natural to think about the root causes, the why. So while there might be a few causes at play, and that includes things like pricing complexity and cost predictability, there are two that I would like to highlight here today. I'll be the first one to tell you, I work at AWS, we have a lot of pricing complexities, right, in terms of, and that's based on just having a lot of flexibility for customers and giving customers a lot of options. But within that comes a lot of choices, and within that choices comes a lot of uh, complexity. So we understand that. But here, the first one that I want to highlight is due to the on-demand nature of the cloud use. AWS offers on-demand provisioning capabilities that make it easy for anyone to spin up resources at any time within your DevOps organization, right? And often this results in uncontrolled costs because usage in the cloud equals cost. It's not like the old traditional data centers where everything was already preset for the year. The, more, the reason why you're probably in the cloud or made the decision to go in the cloud is because you want more agility, uh, you want that flexibility to be able to scale up and down where you necessarily do that in the traditional data centers. The second one is due to cost awareness. So when those resources are being provisioned, their owners often have little to no visibility into what their applications are costing in the cloud, and therefore they cannot take actions to mitigate waste. So historically, as I was saying, technology organizations are not attuned to cost, unlike how they are with things like security, performance, and scalability. The cloud, therefore, necessitates a new approach as a result. So we have CIOs and enterprise IT organizations. They have to start developing new approaches and processes to manage and optimize cloud costs. And this is where cloud financial management comes in. What is cloud financial management? In the past, a few years ago, we used to just emphasize just that middle part, the green circle, cost optimization. We used to just say, go cost optimize, and that is still very valid. But cost management is more than just cost, just cost optimization. 
Cloud financial management, very simply, is a set of activities that enables technology and finance organizations realize the business value throughout their cloud journey. And a disciplined approach at CFM allows you to build a self-sustained culture. So what does the CFM, what does this four buckets mean? It's really very simple. Four things to remember. First one, the set of activities that allow you to see what is being spent on the cloud. So those activities at the bottom, I don't have a pointer, but under the first white circle thing, things like account and tagging strategy, those things allow you to be able to see what has been spent in the cloud. The second one is the set of activities that allow you to save money and eliminate waste. That's where you have things like matching capacity with demand, things like choosing the right pricing model, spot instances, reserve instances, and my new favorite, savings plans. And then those activities that allow you to predict and plan what your cloud cost is going to be in the next six months, next two years, in the next five years. Those are things like budgeting and forecasting, looking at uh, proof of concept based cost estimations, activities like that. And then last but not the least is activities that help you scale all of those things within your organization, that helps you run all those processes. That's what we call the cloud financial operations. So things like making sure you have executive sponsorship within your organization that supports what it is that you're trying to do from a cloud financial management standpoint, and investing in your people, governance, and tools, automation tools to help you scale. That's cloud financial management. So it really looks cool on paper. Let me, let me go back. Doesn't that look really cool, that framework? I think it looks really cool, right? But the question is, even though the framework is good, it's really simple, the big challenge, I've had two sessions here since I've gotten to reInvent, and I've heard the same thing is, how do we get people to actually take action? We know what we're supposed to be doing. We know, for the most part, we're supposed to be optimizing. We're supposed to be not, uh, we're supposed to be eliminating waste. But how do you get hundreds or even thousands of people within your organization to actually take action? That is the biggest challenge. I'm here to tell you today that you do that from experience, from talking to a lot of customers, even as, as the lead when I was at Expedia, leading the cloud finance team there, I'm telling you here from experience, it starts by building what we call a cost-aware culture. A culture that involves a mind shift. It all starts with a mind shift, where you gradually but firmly establish the idea that everyone is responsible for cost and that there are financial consequences in everything they do. You might ask, so how do we do that? Well, a cost-aware culture starts with visibility. A guy that likes to say, I'll be back, once said these words. Does anyone know that guy? Right? He once said these wise words that if I can see it and believe it, then I can achieve it. When we are heading on a journey, we are asked to pay attention and look at where we are going. In cloud, a similar concept applies. The faster you're moving and changing, the larger your size, the more you have running in the cloud, the more it becomes important to establish commercial visibility and control. And by visibility, what I mean is how often costs are updated and seen and which detail can be seen. Let's walk through that. 
So just, here's just a very, very small set of questions that you're probably asking this set of questions in your organization, your current organizations, or at some point will ask. I can bet you that. So why did our spend go up in region US West 2 in September? How much does my project or application cost, or will it cost? How many Amazon EC2 reserved instances or savings plans should we even be purchasing? Those are valid questions that you're probably asking. How do you get this cost visibility? You start by focusing relentlessly on clean data. These two structures are the foundations of clean data in the cloud. A granular multi-account structure via AWS organizations and a properly formed resource tagging strategy is one of the most important aspects of good cost management and can help with answering those questions that I showed you earlier. By doing so, your technology teams become more aware of the direct contribution to the bottom line and they can start becoming more cost-aware stakeholders. Without a multi-account structure or tagging, the impact of cost visibility is significantly diminished and it's difficult to know who is responsible for the span and what it's for. Some activities that are crucial for this include things like, if you say you wanted to right size, you need to know the application's purpose and the owner to be able to make changes. Tagging can help with that. Say elasticity, you want to improve on your elasticity. Tagging can also specify which instances are non-production and at what times they should be switched on or off. So if you look at the tagging tags there, the green, the green bars, those are like examples of cost allocation tags that you could have, some really important common ones that a lot of customers use. Things like cost center, application ID, project, environment is really important. So making sure that you have that tagging strategy uh, is important. The next thing is really picking the right visibility tool for you. It doesn't matter whether you're a one-man organization or an organization who's huge like, I don't know, Amazon.com with a lot, thousands of engineers. It doesn't matter. Pick the right visibility tool that enables commercial visibility and speed to the kind of insight that you need. So on the left here, you have the monthly AWS invoice. This provides a view once a month and breaks down costs by services. Then you have the AWS Billing Console, which provides a little bit more information uh, over several months, right, if you have access to that. Then number three, you have AWS Cost Explorer. This is a common one. Cost Explorer is a native AWS tool that is free and is able to show you costs at a very detailed level. And not only does it show you the cost, it also shows you some optimization recommendations. Over the past few months, we have done a lot of improvement. We've made a lot of improvement on Cost Explorer due to customer feedback that we have received. Finally, we have other options such as the AWS Costs and Usage Report, which is called the CUR, if you're familiar with that. And this is where you have all the line items for every resource for every hour that you use in that month. So this same CUR report, we have seen uh, some, some customers take it and make it DIY and make it into their own customizable, user-friendly uh, data by using dashboarding tools like Tableau, Athena, and just putting a bunch of queries on it and making it their own and customizing it. And it's this same CUR that our third parties uh, you know, 
companies out there, they plug into that same curve and make all these recommendations and visualizations and make it available to customers. So the question to you is, if you look at the scale of small, simple, to large, complex, dynamic environments, where do you sit? My recommendation is always start, I always recommend try to start with Cost Explorer because it's free and you can always scale up or scale down depending on what you need for your organization. As you mature in your cost management journey, we see a lot of people tend to go more towards number four because now they want to start marrying their internal metadata information like revenue information with that information and that number four is, it gets them there. So now you have picked a tool, now you have the clean foundation, what's next? You need to select metrics to set your growth and efficiency inside. So let's consider a scenario here. Say someone comes and raises a red flag regarding a 10% year-over-year increase in AWS spend. What kind of insight would you be able to glean from that statement besides the fact that AWS costs have gone up by 10%? What does that even mean? It's just 10%. Now consider, if that same person said that in addition to the 10% increase in spend, searches increased by 50% and reservations grew by 30%, ah, now we're talking, would you still consider that 10% a cost or an investment? It's probably an investment because your business drivers grew, right? So at that point, it's no longer a cost. Depends on how you look at it. Value-based KPIs are really important because they add meaning to otherwise solitary AWS cost numbers, right? So we have AWS-based metrics on the left. So those are the cost-based metrics where you use to determine how efficient or how well-optimized you are. Uh, things like percentage, percent of RI coverage you have. Is it 60%? Is your goal 80%? Why did it drop down to 55% this month? Those are really valid metrics to start off with. But as you start growing and you start telling the story of, okay, AWS costs went up, but why? Then you can start moving towards the, the metrics on the right, the value-based KPIs. Those are just examples. AWS cost per search. It could be AWS cost per calls for your organization. It could be AWS cost per transaction for your organization. It could be AWS cost per users. It could be AWS cost per booking. Depends on what your business is. So if you have that metric, it would help to tie cost and usage metrics to business value drivers and help you rationalize changes in your AWS spend. So the first step in doing this is really working together cross-organizationally to select and agree upon a standard set of KPIs. It doesn't have to be 10, it could be two. You could maybe start with two here and maybe one there. When we were at Expedia, we, we, we looked at uh, bookings was one of the, the big um, uh, uh, drivers of costs, so cost per booking was, was a good one that, that worked. But in some cases, you have the KPIs that may have meaning for one meaning for one organization versus the other, and that should be a red flag that prompts you to go back to the drawing board to identify what is really that metric that you all can agree on for your organization. So you've agreed on the, on the KPIs. However, data and KPIs are not useful unless someone is actually looking at it. And the way to use cloud data in an organization is really to connect the data and the KPIs to your cloud resource users and present that information in a meaningful way across multiple levels. Executives need something different from DevOps team. 
right? You have your CCOE, your Cloud Center of Excellence. They probably need something different from the finance team. So building customizable dashboards with actionable insights tailored to each of this uh, helps. And as a result of extending visibility to multiple stakeholders, people are much more judicious of their usage and they can start to see, you can start to see better behavior across the teams. I mentioned earlier, over the past 12 months, uh, I'm gonna focus on Cost Explorer a little bit here. We've actually done a lot of improvements in this area. Uh, some of the things we've done is now, instead of just looking at monthly usage data, we now have hourly usage data in Cost Explorer. So that is one area that the DevOps team will really find really useful, for instance. So now with the right data and visibility, you can actually now start taking actions that eliminate waste and start saving. Remember when we started off with the whole waste? Now we walked our way journey through how can we start taking actions? It start with the visibility. And AWS's approach on cost optimization is really about customer obsession. Let me remind you that helping customers save money is part of the AWS DNA, and we really, really uh, put in a lot of time and resources, and we've been producing tools and solutions for customers to help them monitor and analyze their spend. There's a lot of ways that you can cost optimize, about 100 plus. And having the right data and visibility, like I mentioned earlier, can help you prioritize and take action on them. You don't have to do everything at once. So to simplify, what we've done is we've categorized those 100 cost levers into these four buckets. Remember, we started with those metric KPIs, and these are the optimizations that will help you improve them. So the first one is really treating cost as a non-functional requirement during design and architecture, just as you do for things like scalability and security. The other one is really leveraging dynamic predictive and scheduled elasticity of AWS to turn up resources when they're not being used. Uh, so EC2, for instance, and RDS can both be turned off and on. That's really around maximizing your elasticity. AWS pricing models is another one. We know that most workloads start off as on-demand workloads because you don't really know if what's gonna happen, so you start off using on-demand, and that's fine. On-demand is really when you pay for what you need at a moment in time. But there are other few pricing constructs that can give you more discounts based on how well you know or design your environment. And that includes spots, uh, reserve instances, and savings plans uh, to optimize the right type of workloads, and you can have the right mix based on that. Some of the data that CFOs could find useful in evaluating should we be buying a reserve instance and should we be buying sales plans are things like looking at the return and uh, upfront cash outlay. Those are some of the data elements that CFOs help uh, make that decision. Last but not the least is really looking at things like your CPU data, uh, utilization data, your RAM, your storage, to identify potential instances that can be right-sized. Uh, you can right-size or eliminate what we call ideal resources or resources uh, that are not necessary, uh, and that includes EC2s, EBS snapshots, and volumes, and just assessing the performance of those and seeing if you need to scale down or just terminate those. Those are the four uh, areas of uh, savings. But we know, like I said just now, you can actually do everything at once. A successful cost optimization actually requires a balanced approach and prioritization. And to prioritize, you first of all need to 
really determine the most critical areas to get the most value of your time investment. We realize this is not just gonna do itself, it's effort that needs to be put into it. So you need to be able to uh, pick a lever that brings in the same, the, the most value to you. So you would wanna quantify the ROI and make a decision to pick the ones that are most important, that is worth protecting for your organization. And I know that every journey is different, you just have to determine what this picture might look like for you. So let's look at this example. In this case, everything in the yellow is what I would call the low-hanging fruit because it has the most impact and the least amount of complexity to, to, to implement, right? And then if you look at the gray, the gray at the top right there, things like the spot and serverless, for this scenario, they have a lot of impact as well, but they're more complex because it probably requires some architecturing and technological effort involved. Maybe that for your organization is not the case. Maybe the gray is actually in the middle, in the, in the left bottom for you. It depends, you just have to look at the amount of effort it would take for you and the amount of impact it would have and prioritize based on that. So in this, in this example, for example, uh, the new savings plan pricing model is good for you if you have yet to drive significant optimization in your organization. It's one of the most impactful and simplest cost optimization levers to implement. And why is that savings plan thing highlighted? I mentioned earlier as one of my new favorite things. What is savings plans? It's very new. We just launched it probably maybe four weeks ago or something like that. Savings plan is a new recently launched flexible pricing model that offers low prices on EC2 and Fargate usage in exchange for a commitment to a consistent amount of usage, which is measured in dollars per hour for a one or three year period. AWS Cost Explorer will help you to choose a savings plan and will guide you through the purchasing process. So unlike reserve instances, savings plan actually requires less planning and management. So it gives you the same discount, but it's, it's just a little bit, uh, has a little bit less of an overhead than reserve instances. And as I mentioned earlier, cost optimization requires a balanced approach. So if you, let's say you assume that you're going to right size 50%, then you can do savings plan to cover X percent. You have to balance it out. Not one size fits all. If you're a company that uses only a small number of cloud resources, you might find that you can perform this cost management activities that we just talked about manually. But as you scale up, it's simply not practical. So maybe today, you tend to react and you have manual processes to do a one-time cleanup. Those might get you by, but if your goal, if you remember the third slide, if your goal is I want to grow, I want to grow from 1x to 10x, that will not scale. You need better cloud financial management, and there are things that you need to start doing to prevent waste in a scalable manner. With scale, you need automation. As mentioned earlier, there are many levers you can pull to optimize costs. And it's just not practical to do all that manually as you scale. Instead, use automation to self-sustain. This helps to eliminate a lot of human errors and puts repeatable procedures in place. AWS and some of our other partners are always developing tools that enable you to manage spend independently and automatically take action to remediate problems. So let me share with you some of the things that we're seeing customers do with automation. 
We're seeing new tools and resources that can help you with automation, uh, basically to do two things. The first one is automation to save money and automation for governance. There are tools to do all that. So here are some examples. AWS Instance Scheduler enables you to configure custom start and stop schedules for EC2 and RDS instances. So if you have instances that you want to shut down after business hours or on weekends, or maybe just look for dev or test non-prod instances or instances with scheduled run times, you can just leverage AWS Instance Scheduler. There was actually a customer that was able to save $10,000 a month just using scheduling. That's a, that's a fact. Or maybe you have workloads at the peak at the end of the month where you may want to ensure you have uh, auto-scaling enabled to meet new demands. With auto-scaling, you can scale up and down based on the demand and usage, which translates to specific metrics such as CPU utilization or the number of requests. And you can also leverage all the different pricing options that I mentioned earlier in your auto-scaling group for the most cost-effective uh, scaling strategy. We also have the new AWS Systems Manager Up Center, where you can centrally identify uh, things like EBS volumes that you maybe are no longer attached to instances that you need to delete and, and get rid of. Uh, that can help with that. S3 Intelligent Tiering, I really like this one, uh, depending on if it's a use case that fits for your S3 buckets. This is basically an automated way of uh, making sure that you are using the right S3 pricing class. So with S3, there are different classes of S3 pricing. There is a standard, which is the more expensive, all the way down to infrequent access. So it basically, by enabling S3 intelligent tiering, you can look at your S3 analytics over the past 30 days, and if you're a candidate for it, if your buckets are suitable for it, it will basically help automatically route uh, your S3 standard usage if it sees that it's fit for infrequent access and move it automatically to the, to the lower tiered pricing one and save you money that way. So you just have to enable it that one time. And then on the governance standpoint, we have AWS Budgets, which basically is an automate, automatic way to get notifications when you maybe don't have your threshold met. It notifies you via email or SNS, or maybe if you've met your budget threshold, or if your RI coverage has gone down or gone up based on how you set it. So these are just examples of automation tools that we're seeing a lot of our customers to start to put in place a little bit more. So let's take a step back and visualize what good cloud consumption actually would look like. On this graph, you see that I do not have, there is no focus on aggregate costs, like a total cost that we spent in October 2019. No, there is no aggregate cost. But rather, what I'm focusing here is the unit costs. Unit cost helps to provide a measure of how efficient your cloud spend is with respect to your business. We talked about that earlier. So more specifically in this graph, if you look on the right side, we see a steady increase in usage, which is the green bars over time. That could be a year, that could be two years, that could be six months. And on the left-hand side, we see a unit cost, cost per transaction, which has actually kind of remained flat and steadily declining. That is the yellow line. This decline implies that costs are decreasing, primarily due to optimizations, while transactions are increasing, maybe due to volume growth, uh, or it could be a combination of both. So the point here is, it's not really about focusing on the total cost, it's really about picking that metric that we talked about and using that to measure how efficient you are. So with this ideal picture in mind, I'm gonna turn it over to Patrick from Lyft, who is going to walk us through their journey and how they achieved similar results.
Cool. Thank you, Abiyade. Uh, so I'm Patrick, uh, and my colleague uh, Ilya is over here. He'll, he'll join us later. Um, so we're here today to talk about Lyft's cloud financial management journey. So first, a little bit about us. Uh, we were founded in 2012, and our mission is in to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. Uh, we serve millions of daily trips, and we're available to about 95% of the US population, as well as a few cities in Canada. Uh, you probably know us for, for ride sharing, but we're more than that. So for example, in your Lyft app, you can go and see public transit directions. We also have our self-driving division called Level 5. So why are, why are we on stage today? It's because Lyft runs on AWS. When you use the Lyft app, uh, requests are made to our microservices running on EC2. Uh, we store data in DynamoDB, S3, and other storage services. And we leverage many other parts of AWS to grow our business. And in case you're curious about our bill, uh, EC2, DynamoDB, and S3 make up about 85% of our monthly usage. So to give you a sense of our scaling, our growth, here are some historical figures for you. So in 2016, the number of rides that we serve tripled. The following year, they more than doubled. And the reason I'm showing these here today is because these are the years that our journey really began when it comes to cloud financial management. So this growth that I just talked about, combined with a few technical challenges, uh, led to this increased AWS spend that Abiyade mentioned. Uh, so I'd like to share those challenges with you. First, we knew what our bill was. We were using some of these tools from Amazon. But we didn't exactly know which teams within Lyft were spending that money. This was due to an inconsistent tagging of resources within the company. Next, we had little to no restrictions over spinning up new resources. Now, while I think that's the best way to go, trusting engineers to do the right thing, we lack the appropriate guardrails to detect and mitigate waste. And then as our, as our company grew, our engineering team grew and matured. Uh, they began running more stuff, more complex workloads. And for example, our machine learning workloads run on more expensive EC2 instances, like the P3 family. So we had this increased spend, and we knew we had to do something about it. So in 2017, we built this pretty simple tool, a spreadsheet-based tool. Um, to tackle this problem. So what this thing did, it was a Python script, it downloaded our AWS billing data, it sliced up the spend by Lyft services and teams, and we made that data available to everybody within the company. The key metric that we tracked was cost per ride. Dividing this AWS cost by the number of rides helped us understand our AWS usage and spend as our business evolved. And then for our engineering teams, this was really the first time that they could tell how much they were spending in AWS. And this just initial visibility drove a good wave of right sizing and cost reductions. So this was a big, great success for us. Um, one win, which is almost unintentional, is just showing uh, teams by ranked by their spend, uh, sort of gamified cost optimizations. My favorite story is one of our internal infrastructure teams. They saw their name uh, very surprisingly in the top 10 list of spenders. And they were very surprised. Their manager didn't like it and they went and investigated why. Uh, they were able to do some optimizations, they dropped out, and then the manager was very happy. Within six months of launching this tool, LiftWide, we dropped our AWS cost per ride by 40%. So just by doing this small tool and giving this baseline visibility, we got really, really high ROI out of it. Now the, the warning I'll give you, however, is if you do this sort of work in your organization, this might just be a one-time thing. 
Also, this work allowed us to just really understand our AWS footprint at a higher level. Uh, and it laid a foundation for a team in this area of understanding our cost and usage, our capacity team. And, and for me, the reason I'm here today uh, is because that, like, this work just helped me understand AWS even much more. So if you want to learn more about AWS, I suggest looking at your bill and digging in from there. So while this was successful, uh, we, we learned a lot. We found some new problems, too. First is the way that we stored our data was a bit rigid, and we couldn't answer some of those questions, even the ones that Abiyade mentioned earlier. What we really wanted was fine-grained data that we could do SQL queries, we could build custom dashboards, but our solution was a pain to maintain, and it just couldn't support our growth, and we just needed a stronger technical solution to this problem. Another decision we made to, was to abstract away the savings from EC2 reserved instances. Now, this made it easy to compare usage across um, agnostic of our eyes, uh, because that data is not evenly attributed to all instances. But it led to some incorrect cost estimates when teams were saving money or estimating their spend. Basically, our team had to step in, and we didn't really have a self-service tool that we had built. And then, even still, even though we built this great tool, we hadn't developed a sustainable solution for tagging within Lyft. So to tackle these technical challenges, we partnered with Lyft's data team to really build a scalable and first-class solution to this problem. So I'll invite Ilya to talk about how we did it. Okay, thank you, Patrick. Hi, everyone. I'm Ilya. My team has been helping to establish solid data foundation for the next generation of AWS cost management system at Lyft. So, here is how we did it. We started with identifying three major stakeholder groups and their needs. Finance and leadership wanted accurate, high-level financial numbers correctly attributed to services and teams. Developers wanted not only spend numbers, but also usage data uh, fairly attributed to them, as well as uh, capability to drill in as deep as possible to answer their questions. And finally, capacity team, which Patrick is part of, wanted all of the above, as well as some AWS cost management specific things, such as uh, our inventory management and things like that. So, once the requirements were clear, we proceeded to building the data solution. And we started with the foundation, the data sources. Two major uh, data sources were actually provided to us by AWS directly. The first and foremost is AWS cost usage report, something that Abiade already mentioned today. This is uh, the heart of any AWS cost management system. Uh, the most detailed spend and usage data you can get uh, by hourly and per resource granularity. AWS also were providing us with a set of APIs where we could get the data on RI inventory, uh, on public pricing, and things like that, and also on utilization, which is like very important. Uh, a part of that, we had like some internal data sources on our like internal pricing on teams and projects, basically the org chart. Uh, that was very handy for team allocation, as well as uh, container logs. Lyft is making really good use of containers, and that piece was very important for us. Once the data sources were defined, we actually proceeded to building the data pipeline. And we started with ingesting the data sources into our data warehouse. So even though this talk is not uh, very technical, I still want to mention that we chose our major analytical data warehouse for AWS cost management system. 
Uh, it is running uh, on Hive on top of S3 file system. And even though AWS Cost Management System doesn't necessarily need this scale, it was still really good to avoid silo and also to uh, get good use of support, company-wide support right away. So our major goal was to uh, get the, our, the lift version of cost usage report that uh, could answer all the questions our stakeholders had. And today I want to focus on three major areas that we had to tackle. The first area was around cost metrics. Here we decided to uh, produce something called true cost, something we call true cost. Basically, the idea here was very simple. We wanted each line item in our version of cost usage report to show the actual amount of money we pay to AWS. If you ever dealt with uh, original cost usage report, uh, you know that this is not the case because you need to include different adjustments, discounts. You need to attribute uh, reserved instance fees as well as, uh, for example, like upfront amortization fees, fees for reservations. So this needs to be tackled in your data pipeline. The, the second big piece was team and project attribution. Even though we had uh, pretty decent tagging, uh, it still wasn't ideal. If you ever dealt with tagging, you know, you cannot just get it ideal. That's why in your data pipeline, you need to do some further processing uh, on top of tags in order to correctly attribute the spend to teams and projects. And finally, uh, we had to deal with container allocation. We didn't expect uh, this piece to be very complex, but it turned out to be really complex. Um, as I said, Lyft is making good use of containers. That means that on one EC2 machine, uh, several workloads can be running in containers, and those workloads can belong to even like different teams, not only just like projects. Uh, and those teams want to see the spend attributed correctly to them. So you need to build in some kind of logic that will distribute EC2 cost by those containers. And that, that turned out to be not trivial at all. However, once all these three areas were tackled, we derived our own version of cost usage report that was able to answer all the questions that the stakeholders had. However, stakeholders still couldn't do anything because that curve was inside the data warehouse and you had to query it with SQL, you had to know where it is. That's when we proceeded to building the reporting layer. And here basically we provided different sets of dashboards. High level for leadership and finance and deep dives for developers and capacity team. So here are how they looked like. This is an example of a deep dive dashboard where, for example, engineering manager can go in and see hourly spend for his org, for his team. Uh, here it is uh, by project. And then you can see to the left a bunch of filters where he can uh, drill in and answer different questions, such as where this data transfer cost is coming from, or how does my EC2 fleet look like? So here is an example of a high-level view for leadership. At the top, we provide uh, the major KPIs, like total AWS spent up to date, or sense per ride, something that uh, Patrick and Abiada already mentioned. That's like important KPI for us. And at the bottom, uh, the executive can see the daily spent by org. Basically, he can like, find out who the biggest offenders are. So at the end, that's what we got for our AWS cost management system. 
This might look uh, pretty complex at this point. However, uh, the idea that we were like following the framework is actually pretty simple. Uh, it's called data-driven framework, where you get from data to information to insight. And you don't have to be lift to actually do it. And you can make good use of the tools uh, of different caliber that Abiade mentioned today. Uh, to summarize, uh, to build a good AWS cost management system, first, know your data source as well. Know what is out there. Second, pay a lot of attention to cost metrics. Find out true costs that you actually pay into AWS. Then allocate that cost correctly to teams and projects and mine shared resources. If you're using containers, that might be difficult, but you have to do that, right, in your data pipeline. And finally, de deliver uh, all those findings to the stakeholders. So, this looks really great. However, if you do all of that, magic doesn't happen. Because stakeholders can get the data, but unless they act, savings are not coming. So, and now, uh, now I'm giving back to Patrick so that he can tell you how our uh, teams at Lyft achieved really nice results by acting on the insights we delivered to them. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Ilya. So using these insights, we, had, we were able to make a huge impact on our AWS spend. As Abiyad, I mentioned, automation is crucial. We leverage that to optimize. So for example, our capacity team built a, an automated tool to understand where our low utilization resources were, and we used that to delete instances and reduce waste. Using our dashboards, teams on their own could now identify these high spend areas and make architectural changes to their application to reduce spend. For reserved instances, we built additional automation that facilitated not only smarter decision making, but quicker decisions. And then organizationally for our teams, this allowed us to grow the scope of our, our team, our capacity team, to build more automation and have a bigger scope. We also founded an efficiency team that was specifically founded to drive cost reductions. These teams helped us move from this reactive mindset to more of a proactive one for cloud financial management. This also enabled better collaboration with en engineering teams across the company and even other functions like finance and accounting. So I'd like to share some of the results with you. First, our reduction of waste. So for EC2, using that automated tool that I referenced, we identified low CPU utilization instances, we reached out to those owners, and we were able to delete a large quantity of those. For DynamoDB, we looked at our top 25 most expensive tables, and we found many, many opportunities to right-size both provision throughput as well as storage. And then enabling DynamoDB auto-scaling to provide some elasticity also had a big impact here. So our dashboards, we really started to empower teams to do work on their own and understand this. So on the left here, we have a chart uh, where our data platform team was looking at some of their workloads, and they noticed that they had a lot of cross-availability zone data transfer spend. And then they realized that they didn't need to separate their clusters across availability zones. So what they did is they co-located these clusters where appropriate, and they were able to cut this cost to zero, which I think is the best type of cost optimization you can do. On the right, teams have been using our dashboards to understand the cost impact of containerization, of migrating to Kubernetes. So here in green, you can see an old workload running outside of Kubernetes. Next, spinning that workload up in Kubernetes. And then finally, removing the old workload and realizing a net spend reduction of 
And then this last result is kind of a different one. So while we added automation to save money, uh, save more money with reserved instances, we also save time for our teams and other engineers. Previously, our RI process was very hacky. We only had EC2 process, and we relied on a bunch of charts and one-off scripts to do this work. Now, thanks to our team, we've built email reports for all reservation-capable AWS products, and it tells us every week via email which buys to make, which conversions to do. And we use uh, these determinations based on a metric that we call potential savings per week. So basically, we look in the past and we see what would the perfect number of RIs would have been and make decisions based on that. So now that this work is automated, our teams have now more time to build more tools and save money in other areas. So even though we have a, we've had a lot of success here, uh, I'm sorry to inform you, this work is never over. We have to keep, keep doing this work. So for our data set, we need to add more resource utilization to really further right-size and understand our workloads. And then we need to attribute more of that shared platform usage back to Teams. For our tools, it's all about automation. We need to add alerting, anomaly detection, and automating some of our RI conversions. And then finally, as I said, we just need to keep doing this. This work gets more difficult over time, not easier. Uh, thanks so much for having us, and I'll hand it back to Aviati. Thank you so much, Patrick and Ilya. Those are really great successes. So I'm going to ask this question that I asked in the beginning. Who can operate workloads in a cost-efficient manner, based on what we just heard, with a show of hands? Oh, I like that guy in the middle. Everyone in this room can do that. Everyone in this room can do that. We've done it. I've seen a lot of customers. It doesn't matter what size. You're able to do it. So call to action, as you've just heard, as Patrick and Ilya mentioned in their Lyft journey, here are some of the few things that I think help Lyft as takeaways that you can, that you can uh, have as takeaways. Basically, enabling broad data visibility helps to drive the right decisions. Start small. You don't have to go big at once. And continuously build improvement processes as you go in your cloud management journey. Then define an owner to drive corrective actions. It doesn't have to be a whole team to start off with. It could be somebody who is just dedicated and who owns looking at this and making changes to that. To, to that. Automate, we've talked about this. And last but not the least, I always like to say this, clean up that lab environment. You know what I'm talking about. Clean it up. So thank you so much for, for coming. We have some other cloud economic discussions uh, going on at reInvent. Feel free to take a photo of this if you want to um, uh, go attend those sessions as well. And then let me leave that on for a second. We also have a, a session survey in the mobile app. Please, oh, let me go back. I think some people are still taking photos. <laughs> I'll leave it on. But please make sure to take the survey. Uh, we found out yesterday that the survey doesn't actually indicate what one means or five means. One means really, really bad rating, and five means really, really good ratings. Five means really, really good ratings. <laughs> so just wanted to clarify that. But thank you so much for coming. Uh, we are going to be here for the next four minutes or so. So if you have any questions, please feel free to walk up and, and talk to us. Thank you.